Ladies and gentlemen, in the red corner, hailing from the state of Nevada, representing the steam and wise guys, it's the always feared Vegas Odds Maker! And in the blue corner, the crowd favorite from South Florida, Mark Winning Picks Lawrence! And now, let's get it on! Against the spread, Winning Picks with Mark Lawrence! Hi everybody, welcome back once again. This is Mark Lawrence, along with Victor King, Andy Isco, and Jim Feist from Las Vegas. And we're all set to go against the spread in this week number seven of the National Football League. College football rounding the halfway point. And guys, I can't believe it. It seems like we just talked about the beginning of the season. And here it is, week number seven in the NFL. Can you believe it, Victor? I can't believe it. You know, uh, in college football last week, Mark, the excitement level must have been ramped up to about a 10. That's for sure. Multiple exciting games, one-score games, even some late great finish-type games. And, you know, while we have uh, everybody here, can I get a real quick show of hands how many guys won a college football game on, on a Hail Mary last week? <laughs> Show of hands. Right? <laughs> uh, for us, it was the uh, Saturday night uh, Mountain West game. Colorado State scored a touchdown on the last play of the game to put that one over the total by a half a point. And I know that in Mark's case, it was the Thursday night game, uh, Big 12 Conference, with Houston getting a Hail oh. Mary at the that end was, of the game to beat West Virginia, uh, hell of a way to start the week, but uh, excitement never the lesson college football. That Houston football game, as you mentioned, Victor, that was like a crying towel loss in the making, uh, if you will, for the Houston Cougars, the, the way West Virginia had scored just before that. Right. And then, you know, here comes Hail Mary. Uh, did the rosary beads, everything worked real well, and it worked in our favor. So you win games like that. We really appreciate them. You lose those, that's all you talk about are the bad beats. So I'm glad how about, you have to uh, labor the bad beat. How about Stanford on Friday night oh, in Colorado? Wow. Oh, amazing comeback. By, by the Stanford Cardinal? Right. Yeah, 29 nothing down at halftime. Oh, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. In Colorado, right. And you know what, guys? Uh, the Buffaloes are not the best college football team in the state of Colorado. You know that. It's the Air Force Falcons at 6-0. and Yes, they are. Mighty Air Force Falcons, who at the beginning of the season, I think were picked by at least Playbook, but I know quite a few other people picked them to win that Mountain West Conference, and they certainly have not let down. They started out maybe just a tad ragged to begin the season, but boy, they've got their act together here, and I see they're a big double-digit favorite in the military game this week. Uh, so tip of the hat to Troy Calhoun, the great job he's doing with Air Force, as Victor mentioned here. Andy, anything happened on last week's college or pro football card that caught your eye? Well, you mentioned all the close games. The uh, It's interesting because we're going to talk about Penn State, Ohio State, and we saw all the offense in Washington and Oregon. We may see all the defense. So two contrasting styles between two sets of unbeaten teams going up against each other in two weeks, and it's been that uh, that kind of season. I'm interested in a number of games where we've got uh, – uh, traditional rivalry starting in, in conference play at this time of the year. A lot of new rivalries starting in the Big 12 with all the new teams that have come into that conference, and some of them have succeeded. A number of them have uh, have struggled. So uh, every week, of course, presents its own drama, and I'll be interested to see uh, what kind of uh, drama uh, unfolds this week, and I hope I'm either not on the game or on the correct side. 
Well, you mentioned about teams leaving conferences, Andy. I can remember the time, and it wasn't all that long ago, that I used to chart separately in our database the teams that were about to bolt or leave a conference for another one. And my point of contention was that uh, they would be targeted by the teams in the league, you know, as uh, as vagabonds leaving the conference and teams go after them real hard. Well, it was easy to remember the names of those teams because there might have might have been a handful of them today. My goodness, you, I need another database to keep a chart of all those football teams. I, I think about 10 years ago, we had a similar outpouring or outflow of teams from wrongs five or six conferences. I think it's, it's several more this year, but uh, I'm okay when they add or subtract one team every year, two teams a year. But what you're talking about is exactly true. In fact, this year I'm uh, looking at how Pac-12 teams are doing in their final run in the conference, although so many of them involve games against one another. Well, at this point they do. At the beginning of the season, though, they really took care of business, you know, to their credit. Uh, they've done a great job. In fact, I think they've really outshined all the other conferences. If they you have. Put, the, put the records together, right, uh, you know, you yeah. add up their wins and their point spread covers, I think they're head and shoulders. Uh, the, leader, the leaders of the Pac this year are the Pac-12. I'll tell you what, there's one such game this week which will be very interesting. Utah at Southern Cal. Utah has done very well the last couple of years. And, of course, UC, USC and UCLA were really the two teams that started it with the, their dual move to the Big Ten. And it's left other teams uh, you know, going elsewhere. And, of course, Utah's found a new home as well. But still, it's not quite the same as uh, playing in the Pac-12. Uh, even when you think – I'm just wondering, you know, this is a topic for another day, how the minor sports are going to cope with having to cross the country to play volleyball or tennis or whatever it is when you're traveling 15, 1800 miles for a non-revenue producing sport. We might see some of these sports being dropped by some of these universities. Uh, you know, if the TV revenue isn't there, or at least they're piling up a lot of money making these transfers. But I don't know that's only going to last so long. Jim, how do you see that affecting these college football teams that are going to have to go West coast to East coast or back and forth next football season? I don't know that it's going to have a tremendous effect on uh, on basketball and football, but the minor sports these these schools play, I think it will, and it it will probably change a lot of the enrollment situations because kids do get scholarships for lesser sports, and they're not going to be able to get them at these schools, so they're going to be going to other other schools and try to get get in. They're it, def it definitely sorry, affects. Ahead, Jim, I'm sorry. It definitely affects the children, the kids. Uh, trying to get an education and play the sport they love. They're trying to get an education in college these days. That doesn't seem probable in the world of sports. Anyway. <laughs> oh, well, you got me there. <laughs> Along came the NIL. My goodness. <laughs> You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. Victor, Jim, Andy, and I are going on a little bit of a roundtable talk before we get into our college football game of the weekend. Moving it over to the National Football League side of things and what we saw last week, Jim, we had a pair of undefeated teams go down last week. Were you at all surprised that that happened? And what do you think uh, will be the situation moving forward with those two former undefeated teams? Well, there were two different two different situations. The San Francisco losing to Cleveland, and I would have to say right now what I've seen the first six weeks is Cleveland has the best defense in football. Uh, now they played with a, a, a real backup quarterback, but the kid missed the field goal at the end or we wouldn't even be mentioning that. Now, th there was a controversial move by the Niners in the offseason why they changed their kicker. 
because they went from a, an old pro to a young kid, and he missed two two field goals in that game. One went le- left and one went right, and um, Cleveland walks away with a miracle win over the best team in football, in my opinion. But in that game, there were two major injuries, Samuel and McCarthy. So it, it's... Um, you know, they were debilitated, and Purdy got some pressure that he has not been used to seeing. And he, you know, he didn't 100% fold, but he didn't step up like you might have hoped he would. But that's another conversation that you and I had a little bit earlier about offensive line play and coaches and stuff like that. As far as the other team, the other game is concerned, it was even more shocking because the way Hertz played at the end of the game in that passing through and I mean just very poor decision making on his part I'm not blaming the coaches on that one I'm blaming him on that one and um, and the Jets come away with the victory well the Jets have the top uh, two or three or four defenses in the league Uh, they're very tough as well as as the Browns and uh, they came away with the victory based mostly on their defense and um, but a couple mistakes by Hertz didn't hurt them well the white elephant in the room as we're talking about the national football league this week <laughs> was the extraordinary amount of unders that we saw last week it was unbelievable i was reading uh, victor's totals tip sheet and it was staggering uh, to read the tally of what happened in the national football league and before i ask victor about that one more question to you jim about that why do you think or perceive that we are seeing so many low scoring football games this year well to start off a general a general opinion, I have a lot of opinions on this. It kind of starts with, this is a down year for the NFL. Um, and there's reasons for that. We have a lot of young coaches. Uh, we have coaches that are, you know, if you want to stop changing the world, stop having babies. And they come into this league with ideas that they're going to run the league based on analytics instead of old school football. We talked a little bit about it a couple of weeks ago about, downplaying the running back position well the running back position is important not just to run running the ball but providing blocking and most of these quarterbacks are playing from the shotgun instead of under center so it takes away the run pass option and then of course your offensive line play is poor and i don't know the reason for that but you know it comes out of the colleges they're just not coming prepared to play the offensive line play is very poor. You have your offensive coordinators that are making very strange calls. You have your quarterbacks that are really not really NFL quality at this point. And some of them may develop. I mean, we see the kid down in Houston that, you know, nobody thought he would do what he's doing. But then you have the kid over in uh, uh, in, in um, the Carolina. The Panthers, it is just that he's not developed yet either, but that's a that's a, a poor offensive line and some questionable decisions by the head coach. Now he's given the play calling away to someone else. There's a lot of reasons that the NFL is struggling a little bit. That The scoring is down. Um, I don't know, Victor probably has the numbers, but I'm going to guess four or five points a game. And And then, of course, you have weather. You do have some weather. We had some bad weather last week, and we're going to have some bad weather this week. And you can already see the line moves in some of these games that move four or five points because of the weather 
and because of the trend, I think it was two and 13 last week, over under, something like that in that neighborhood. And um, you put all the factors together, 2023-24 is a down year for the NFL. And it's it will get better because you're going to go through cycles where you have ineffective uh, play calling and ineffective uh, playing by key positions. Victor, what did you see out of last week's card? Uh, you know, Jim hit on it about uh, maybe only two overs in the entire card. And you know that uh, when you're an extreme like that, uh, it doesn't last very long. It doesn't stay there for that long. But the Vegas odds makers tend to make the adjustment right away because they know that the public knows what they saw last week. And it put a lot of people to sleep. The National Football League games did last week. What did you make of it in your database, Victor? Well, right. It was either two and thirteen over under, or two twelve and one over under, uh, depending on your line in the Cleveland San Francisco game. If you bet it at thirty six, you tied. Uh, if you had a different line, uh, you uh, may have went under uh, in that particular game. So, you want to talk a blast from the past? Uh, that's where we're going. Thirty seven point nine was the average combined points per game last year. You got to go back all the way to 1996 for numbers like that, low scoring numbers like that. But you know what, guys? It's not surprising because last year, again, let's run through the numbers. We're at uh, 36, 56, and one right now on the season. That's 36 overs, wow. 56 unders, 61% under. I say it's not surprising, but you know what? Last year at this exact same time, the numbers were just about exactly the same, 37 and 57 in the 2022 season. Now, I, if you're asking me for a reason, guys, I still think that it goes back to the new uh, procedures that occur in the NFL preseason. Uh, since the 2020 COVID season, we've reduced the preseason games from four to three. There have been numerous cases of NFL teams who basically benched their entire starting offense throughout the entire three-game preseason. As a result, you're seeing very slow and low-scoring starts in the first five, six, seven weeks of the season. It happened last year. It happened this year as well. So I think, again, a lot of that still comes down to the fact that uh, we're going through a different preseason than we've seen in the past. Not to mention, I think defensive coordinators have done a fantastic job with their halftime adjustments this season because as good as the unders have hit this season, it's second-half unders that have hit at an even higher percentage. Second half has been cementing those totals, like Victor says. Uh, the defensive coordinators are indeed doing their job. But the numbers speak for themselves, Andy. 36 and 37 wins. The last two years, 56 and 57, I'm saying wins, I should say overs. Overs, yeah. 56 and 57 unders. Are you hearing anything from the, any of the uh, sports books in Vegas about how it's affecting them, uh, Andy, or do you see or anticipate? They're probably cleaning up, right, Andy? 
Well, they should because you normally the public bets the favorite and the over and probably the over right. more than the under just in general. A uh, couple of thoughts I have, and I'll use Philadelphia and Kansas City as an example. Philadelphia lost both their offensive and defensive coordinators after last season. Kansas City lost uh, Eric Bieniemy, who longtime assistant under Andy Reid, and we've seen Kansas City's production drop significantly. And I think Victor hit upon part of it, the fact that they're sitting out so much of the preseason, they're not getting their timing down, especially in the passing game. And you know, defenses are normally ahead of the offenses, and we've seen it, as you just pointed out, you and Victor, the, with the over-under results through the same time through the first six weeks this year and and last year. So I think part of it also uh, just relates to the fact that the defense can sit around and do whatever it wants. The offense still has to execute, and to execute, it's repetitions. And if you're not getting all those repetitions, and it's a lot different repeating plays in practice than it is in a preseason game, and then even going from a preseason game going into a regular season game. So most of these teams now, with the ones especially that sit out, if not the entire season, certainly the last week, and then, of course, you now have uh, a bye week between the third week of preseason, the start of the regular season. They're going from reps in practice to full speed ahead facing defenses on the uh, first week, the first few weeks of the regular season. Defenses always seem to be able to have an edge because they're not, they're not as much dependent upon timing as it is positioning and reacting. Well, if the National Football League looks to make a fix, all they need to do is tune into the show, at least the opening segment. Uh, <laughs> there's a, a lot of great reasons, reasonings and uh, perhaps some solutions to what we're seeing for these low-scoring football games. And you know that the National Football League is not thrilled with this. They opened up this game uh, favoring the quarterback, the rules and the changes and everything to produce a lot more higher-scoring, exciting games to um, – to the fans to uh, play I've, the, I've got uh, an answer I've got a solution for that by the way what's that liberalize, liberalize the offensive holding rules let the offensive linemen get away with a little bit more than they're getting away with now now there are some blatant holds but then there are many questionable holds and especially for example if you hold and you release within say half a second do away with the hold that would allow more pl more completed plays to count and not be taken back not only wiped out but also lose 10 yards Adding one thing to that before we move on, the Raiders, the Bears, the Browns, the Colts all have injuries to their quarterbacks. And, and, and my screen just went blank or I would add some more to that. But then on Thursday night, you have the possibility that Lawrence may miss the game. So then you go, I mean, you have a lot of injuries to quarterbacks and that just that, that takes you back to a backup quarterback instead of your first string quarterback which makes it even worse. Well, you put together all that, what you just mentioned, Jim. You look at the Cleveland-Frisco game last week. What did the Browns do? They brought the number one defense in the league along with a backup quarterback into the game, and it was a snore fest. Uh, you know, <laughs> that number got pummeled. What did it go off there during the 36 or something, the total? 36, football? yeah. It was yeah. the closing line, right. Yep. Yeah. You know, this is a day and age when 36 totals just weren't seen two years ago. And, you know, we're seeing it because they're being forced to adjust – that way right there's five games this week in which the over under line is less than 40 points in the nfl it's almost half of the games you know six teams are off because of the buy yeah it used to be that you could feel comfortable going as high as maybe 37 or 38 and right. look under now you're looking at 41 maybe 42 before you can feel a little bit more comfortable the falcons and buccaneers where there's no one hurt on the quarterback issue the total went from 40 and a half to 38. 
Yep. And this goes along with what you said, Victor, earlier last week, the average score was 37. Right. Sure was. You know, there was a time I can remember when uh, I'm not talking that far ago. I don't want to go back like my grandpa did, but <laughs> I'm talking about when the key total, the key number in totals was 41 points. Right. And it wasn't all that far back. And then it's, it graduated. I don't know what did it get to, Victor, as high as maybe most recently in the last four years. What did that 41 grow to? Did it become a 45? Or right, right. At one point, average points was, was up there right at 45 just prior to the 2020 COVID season. So now we may see 41 being a key number here once again, at least for the moment anyway. We're going to have to keep a close eye on that. But we'll let Victor, our totals guy, do that for us. And uh, I'm sure he'll be anxious to report on exactly how that all shakes out with that guys let's hop it over to the college football side of things and let's do a little bit of discussion on, on the biggest game on tap not only this week in college football but that are perhaps arguably the biggest game thus far this year in college football talking about ohio state and penn state when they meet in the horseshoe in columbus and before i hand it off here i just want to mention here that this segment is being brought to you by our friends at uwager.lv where they feature Friday Night 105 Juice. You can wager every game all weekend long on Fridays at minus 105 Juice exclusively at uwager.lv. The home of free same-day payouts. It's where the world bets. Call them toll-free at 1-800-U-WAGER or log on now at uwager.lv. Victor, let's, uh, I'll throw this out to you first. and Feel free, guys, to hop into this football game here. Uh, I have an initial thought on this contest. L let me share it first, and then I'll let you guys do that. Uh, you're looking at two undefeated football teams here. And, you know, my golden rule is when you get two undefeated football teams that are playing in the second half of the season, you play the dog or you don't play the game. And that's only that golden rule because my database says it is, okay? The, the numbers are just uh, – they're, they're clearly to the dog's favor. But my concern in this football game is this. Last year – when uh, Ohio State went into Penn State uh, and beat them, they were 15-and-a-half-point road favorites. And what are they this year? What's the current line in the game here not right now, Victor? Three-and-a-half? Four. Four-and-a-half, four. five. There's, there's one place that's five right now. Yeah. So what's happened between last year and now that this number got to be this short? I think both quarterbacks from last year have graduated and the Penn state quarterback this year has been performing better than the Ohio state quarterback. And I think the general perception is we know a little bit more about Ohio state because of the competition they faced basically Notre Dame. This does not seem to be as powerful and as well-rounded an Ohio state team uh, that, uh, that we've seen in past years. And, you know, James Franklin does not have a very good history. I think he's only beaten Ohio state once in the seven or eight years that he's been there. And we really don't know that much yet about Penn state because they haven't played quite the competition level. It's interesting because both of these teams rate very highly on offense and especially on, uh, on defense ranking number one, number two, certainly top five in most of the significant defensive categories. So it's a compelling matchup. As I mentioned earlier, perhaps the opposite, you know, this game may look of last week's Washington, Oregon. This game may, may more look like a game of Iowa against somebody else. <laughs> with both with both Penn state and Ohio state playing the role of Iowa. Well, you know, just why you mentioned Andy, I just happened to be reading our playbook newsletter this week. And one of the guys that writes for us and his name is Dave Lamont. He did all of our, college and pro previews in the magazine, former ESPN announcer. He has a great, great sense of humor. And he wrote the Ohio State-Penn State game up this week, and he's or the Iowa football game, I should say. 
and he said the, the game has got a strange smell to it, like there's a corpse in the body of a trunk. <laughs> <laughs> body of a trunk. It's a Jimmy Hoffa game. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to go off track there, but when you mentioned that, Andy, that's what that, that's what hit me on that line in that football game. Victor, if you're going to play this over-under total in the game, how are you going to attack it? Well, at the opening line of 48, uh, I like the under – but, man, there's been some sharp money coming in. It's coming down the full three points right around 45 as we speak. And I don't remember the last time I've seen an Ohio State over-underline this slow. Penn State, we've seen them because they've played Iowa a couple times. In each of the, you mentioned Iowa and uh, the fact that Iowa games are so low scoring. Uh, on the season, Penn State 4-2 and two over-under. They've been a pretty good over-team, 52.3 combined points per game. Uh, they've done most of their over damage, however, in non-con play. They've only gone one and two over under in conference play and a lot less points per game at only 42.6. Ohio State, you know what you're getting. One and five over under, one of the best under teams of the season in college football. They've also gone a perfect 0 and 3 to the under in conference play, only 41.6 points per game. You know, Mark mentioned last year's meeting, 75 points in that 44 to 31 game. The over-under was 60 and a half. It went well over the total. With that said, though, the series has still gone four unders, only one over in the last five meetings. And, Mark, you mentioned it. Uh, it's not just probably the biggest game of the weekend. A lot of people are saying this is the biggest game of the season. With that said, though, I think, I think it might be a little bit of a uh, snoozer. Andy touched <laughs> on it. We're talking about uh, the, these teams that are ranked first and second in the country defensively in yards per play uh, allowed. And, of course, you know, there are problems with this Ohio State offense this season. And it starts actually with the running game. They sit outside the top 50 in the season and rushing success rate for the year. Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams both missed the last game against Purdue. They're both questionable to play in this one. Uh, Chip Trainum, he exited the Boilermakers game last week with an injury as well. And at one point, Ryan Day had to put wide receivers in at the running back uh, position. Again, it points to a low-scoring game. A lot of the Sharps have got their action in when the game first opened at 48. At 45, I'll lean under. But you know what I like, guys, what I research in the game is the fact that what I am going to be betting is the first half under 23 and a half. That's the first half over under line between these two. What do you see there, Victor? That's what I'm going to be betting under in the first half of the game. I say that because in Buckeye Conference games this year, in the first half, there's been 13 combined points, three combined points, and 20 combined points. That's only an average of 12.0 combined points per game in conference first halves. And uh, Penn State, not much higher, only 14.3 points per game in the first half of their conference games. So at 45, some of the value has been sucked out of the full game total. But with that said, guys, I'm playing the first half under 23 and a half. Hey, Jim, let me ask you this. Uh, Victor hit on a point that uh, really – opened my ears and uh, about the yards per play for both teams ranking number one and number two. And when you get matchups like this, you know, where you have two teams that are perceived to be 
powerful offenses, uh, you know, put up a lot of points, put up a lot of yards, but then all of a sudden here comes the yards per plate into the football game, ranking number one and number two. Uh, are you looking to attack it from that yards per play from a from a value standpoint and looking to play the under, or are you looking to get uh, over the total because this game comes in just a little bit shorter than what people anticipate? In college, in college ball, um, which I think is much more predictable overall than than the NFL, at least at this stage of the NFL, um, I follow a lot of the money. I look I look where the money is going because. A lot of this is sharp play. People that have some pretty strong opinions, and it's it would be foolish to ignore their opinions. I know some of these people, and um, in in this case, in college, you're playing a wide range of talent. In the NFL, there's only a small group of, of and they're all professional players. When you're talking about playing Iowa. You're you're talking about a, you know teams that don't score it, it it throws everything off so you don't have that wide range of talent generally in the NFL you do have it in 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 college so I, the offenses playing good defenses doesn't happen that often so I tend to look for the under in these big matchups unless the defenses are absolutely atrocious which is not the case here. Yeah, Mark, Andy, I, wanted to, I was yeah, going go to point out just a couple of numbers here because sometimes you have to take numbers in the proper context. Now, I keep, uh, in addition to overall stats, I separate them out versus um, FBS competition to eliminate all the games against the uh, Morgan States, et cetera. And uh, I don't think, I don't recall if Ohio State or Penn State played any of them, but in any way, taking a look just at their stats in their conference and non-conference games against FBS competition, the average yards per play offense and defense is 5.7 yards per play overall, good teams, bad teams in between. As far as defense goes, Penn State ranks number one, 3.4 yards per play they allow Ohio State 4.0. Those rank number one and number two, so both more than a yard and a half better than average. Now, when you break it down against rushing, the average team rushes for 4.1 yards per play. On offense, both of these teams are average. Uh, Penn State 4.4, Ohio State 4.2. But when you look at what they allow defensively versus that 4.1 average, Penn State's allowing 2.1 and Ohio State 4.2. I mean, you're talking about absolutely you know i don't know standard deviations above or below you know the the mean there and then when you take a look at their defensive numbers also i look at yard i i've mentioned it several times before i don't look at yards per pass attempt it's apples and oranges i look at yards per pass completion the average pass completion yards per uh, per completion 12.3 yards per completion Defensively, Penn State allows 9.5. In fact, both teams allow 9.5 yards per completion. What does that really mean? It means they don't allow nearly as many big plays that accumulate 40, 45, 50-yard plays that are built into these averages as a lot of the other teams. So when you're looking at, a, at teams that are basically two and a half to three yards below average, it suggests that this game should be a game where maybe the first team to 24 is the winner. Great analytical point from Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com. Andy publishes one of the finest newsletters in the country, and if you haven't done so yet, check it out. Log on at TheLogicalApproach.com. Andy's got a database much similar to ours. He crunches a lot of numbers, as you just heard. And what would you summarize, Andy, uh, in this football game? What position are you going to take, Buckeyes, Penn State, over or under? 
I took Penn State plus four and a half, and I got under 47 earlier okay. in the week. Penn State I, was... I had my mind made up because their stats that I just read did not change all that much last week. So I was already saying that this is this is a very rare matchup where both teams are equally dominant, more so defensively than offensively. I'm a little bit reluctant with the play on Penn State, given uh, Franklin's history, but uh, I don't know if it's just been a joke or not, but he's certainly been out there and covering spreads for the alumni going back uh, quite a number of uh, yep. games dating back to last year. So uh, that doesn't mean that, of course, this will be the toughest test that Penn State will have faced this year. As I mentioned, uh, Ohio State's already faced a tough test and came through with a win in uh, uh, at Notre Dame, which I guess appropriately, because those are two very good teams, ended in a point spread push. Talk Andy, about- do you do you also do that kind of work in college basketball? No, just too many. Unfortunately, too many teams to uh, uh, to take a look at, and they play so many games during the course of uh, you know multi, you know three four games a week on occasion. When you were talking, I mean, I do a lot of work in college basketball. I have my own program, Fast Facts, but I also use a, a service called Ken Palm. Yeah, which is very famous, and they do a great job of breaking down how teams do against different levels of competition and much along what you were talking about. And they do it. I mean, there's like 300, 3,000 teams. It's just so many teams in college basketball. Like you said, it's just way too difficult to keep up with, but they do a great job doing it. And you notice by the way, how often the lines makers opening lines are very close to the Ken Palm prediction, both sides and totals. Almost identical. Very good, yes. yeah. Yeah, one watches the other for sure. And I'm sure it's more like uh, the odds makers watching Ken Palm. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> I think you're where right. That, is where that all starts. So in summary, guys, uh, we've got Andy on Penn State in the under. Victor, he's going to he, he sees us, they're sparring in this game. Uh, the first half, he's going to go under the total. Jim's going to follow the money. Uh, which way is the money moving so far, Jim, that, that you would well, say? Well, it opened, it opened 48 and a half. I wasn't able to get the half, but I got the 48. I went under. Good. Good good number. And from, from what I see in the game, as I alluded to when we started this segment here, is uh, whenever you match up teams that are 6-0 and or or better apiece, the underdog has been absolutely outstanding in games like this. Then you have a big revenge factor here for Penn State because when they lost to Ohio State last year, they out-yarded the Buckeyes in that football game, left the field with a little bit of a bad taste in their mouth. We talked about James Franklin and how he loves to do things for the alumni. I mean – how about in his last 19 games coming off back-to-back wins and covers, he is 16-3 and three straight up and 18-1 and one to the spread. That's the role he'll be coming in here. He's also cashed nine straight Big Ten games in a row. He's on a point spread machine run here right now, is James Franklin in this football game. You look at Ohio State here, this, this jumped out at me a little bit too. As home favorites of 10 or less points, they're 0-5 to the spread. The tougher the competition, maybe the more they tighten up a little bit there. I'll be on Penn State plus the points in this football game as well. By the way, yes. you, you do a similar study. It's not that different from the results of Alabama when they're a single-digit home favorite. Well, Alabama is exactly more... a great, a great right. parallel, Andy. Exactly right. You know, these big, powerful teams, when they have these big numbers and they lay big numbers and suddenly they're cast in the role of, of – competition that is legit that they have to play to the level of instead of down to like i say the things get a little bit tighter for those football teams and that could be the case in in handicapping i know we all talk about this in in uh, the pro football at least i do the the strength of schedule and that's what we're basically talking about when you look at a team that's playing 
the bottom half of strength and schedule versus somebody that's playing the upper level of it. It's, it's a much different animal because you're accumulating all those great stats that you have to, to make you the favorite against poor competition. And then you go against somebody that really is good. You know, then, then it changes. It, it, absolutely. It changes. I, I actually, even though I eliminate the F, uh, you know, games against the FCS competition within the FBS, I actually evaluate the teams on an ABC ratio. So even within the FBS only data, I am able to take a look at the type of schedule that uh, they play. As it's always difficult how you evaluate competition. Of course, Bill Parcell says your record is, you know, you are what your record is, and maybe that's the best guideline. I suppose you could use winning the stats, but then again, winning the stats, there's an issue with it doesn't factor in defensive and special teams touchdowns, which eliminate a potential uh, possession that you would have. So uh, I do take a look at within FBS how these teams do against the level of competition. But again, and this is a point we always stress with both the NFL and college football, you play so few games you know, how reliable are the averages as you break down these games instead of looking at 12 games and forming an average from 12 games, you're doing it over four or five at most. You mentioned that, Andy, in our midweek alert statistical newsletter, we rescore the football games, uh, not just report the yards gained and the spread and how many passing and all that good stuff, but we rescore the games using a formula where if you incorporate and take turnovers out of it, it's much like the fielding independent pitching ratings in baseball. Yeah. When you incorporate uh, and take out the turnovers, that's a rescore on the football games. And you'll oftentimes find teams that lose games but win the stats. They did so largely because of turnovers, most likely. And you rescore the football game, and suddenly, if you look in the midweek, you'll see they would have won that football game instead of lost that football game. So, you know, those are all kinds of handicapping edges you want to put in your favor here. Uh, you won't find it too much with teams of this caliber, these two Class A teams like Ohio State and Penn State, but you will in the other mid-run type football teams. Let's move it over, guys, to the National Football League side this week, and we got a beauty on tap to discuss about here for our NFL Game of the Week, again, being brought to you by our friends at uwager.lv, where you get a 5% monthly rebate on all your losses at uwager.lv. That's 5% back monthly rebates at uwager.lv. Give them a call toll-free to get on board with the plan at 800-U-WAGER. Victor, we got a beauty on tap today. Uh, you mentioned it when we were putting our, our game plan together here, and you mentioned the Philadelphia-Miami game, and it sort of like jumped off the page to me. This looks this has got a, a potential makeup, if you will, of a Super Bowl matchup. Uh, I know we're early in the football season here, but uh, Philadelphia's been there. Miami's beginning to smell it a little bit. Uh, how do you attack a game like this when you have such a high-scoring offense like Miami and a pretty good defense like Philadelphia. What do you see how the over-under would shake out in something like that? Well, obviously, first impression would be that, you know, if you're going to go over just one game this week, uh, hey, we may as well choose the one with the highest over-under line. I know from working on this week's total tip sheet newsletter, there's certainly enough uh, database ammunition to uh, justify a shootout in this particular game, a game that is uh, hanging right around 52 as we speak in terms of the over-underline. I mean, man, you know what you're getting with the Miami offense. They're flying high, 499 total offensive yards per game, easily number one offense in the league. But it's not lost on me who the number two offense in the league is. 
And that's, of course, the Eagles at 395 total yards per game. Plus the fact that uh, Miami's best over results as of late have actually been on the road. They've gone 9-2 and two to the over, dating back to last season, last 11 road games. Well, Philly's two home games this season both went over with a nice high average, too, of 63.5 points per game. Uh, since I've touched on the high over-under line, that's the very, very first query I ran in our database. And again, the numbers support a shootout uh, in non-conference games with a high line of this nature. Uh, 10-1 and one now since the 2018 season when you have an NFC home favorite of a touchdown or less hosting an AFC opponent when the over-under line is 51 or higher. Uh, Philadelphia is off their first loss of the season. We touched on that in the beginning of the show. They're active in another high-scoring spot. Teams playing at home, game five or greater, with a winning percentage of 825 or higher, off their first loss of the season, have gone 10-1 and one to the over. Now, Miami was that huge home favorite last week of minus 14 points against Carolina. They go to a road dog roll the very next week. This has gone 10-1 and one to the over in the last three years. NFL dogs of two or more who were home favorites of two or more touchdowns in their previous game. It's gone 10-1. and one. Again, we've got the database ammunition to justify an over. So you think that's my play. We're going to hold off right now and wait till the weekend. I say that because a couple of things concern me. Number one, this could be one of the most wind-impacted games of the weekend. And we talked about wind impacts in the NFL. Now, this is a Wednesday forecast, but right now the winds are already forecast at 19 miles per hour or higher in Philadelphia. So we're going to have to wait till the weekend to get an updated weather forecast before we make any sort of move in this game. One more thing. Philadelphia is one of two teams in the NFL. San Francisco is the other that is notorious for almost at their choosing. They can run a 15 to 20 play offensive drive that takes anywhere from nine to 10 minutes off the clock. And it results in only seven points or in some cases only three points. They did this against the Jets in the second quarter last week. They had a 20-play offensive drive that took 10 minutes off the clock and resulted in a touchdown. These are overkillers when teams do this. <laughs> San Francisco is notorious for doing this in the last two years, and so are the Eagles. So that, that also puts our over material off to the side for now. Again, we've, we've got the material to justify a shootout. But there are some things standing in the way of that. We'll revisit the game over the weekend when we can check on the weather and the wind forecast. Hey, Victor, I'm going to throw this out there uh, and let Andy answer it first and then Jim, if you will. You talked about uh, Philadelphia's offense, how good it is. Miami is number one in the in the league. Philadelphia also has a really rock-solid defense as well, too. But it's amazing that Philadelphia's offense, as good as it is, number two in the league, Miami's is 100 yards a game better than Philadelphia's. Yeah. Yeah. 100 yards. Uh-huh. Andy, do you think that's uh, – it is. I know it is. But how long will it last? Overly influenced by the 70-point uh, outburst they put up against Denver. When will that water down? Well, you know, they also put up tons of yards. I think they didn't even – I think 
they may have even put up more yards in that win over uh, the Chargers to open the season than they did in that win over Denver. It was pretty close. But another th- Victor mentioned one point I was going to mention. Actually, well, two points that I was going to allude to. First is the long drive that they had. And that's why I was critical of a Charger coach Staley when they opened the, was it the third quarter with a seven-minute drive, and then they had to choose to go for it on fourth and one at the seven or kick a field goal. You know, if it was a two-minute drive, go ahead, go for it. But you just wasted half the uh, half the quarter, and you come away with nothing. You want to come away with something because you've already reduced the remaining possessions in the game by two or three in total, maybe even a little bit more. But that was po- a point that it does hurt uh, the, the over players to have those extended drives. Add to that, in this game, both Philadelphia and Miami are capable of running the football, which also tends to – elongate drives and reduce uh, the number of possessions, making it that much more difficult for the teams to go over the total, especially if there are turnovers. Now, of course, the one thing with turnovers is how often do you do do the uh, turnovers occur within your own 25 yard line where you haven't gained many yards or you march down the field or pass down the field and you've uh, taken three, four minutes off the clock and you turn the ball over there. So uh, I think fundamentally this game does show up as a high scoring affair based upon all the numbers that Victor alluded to. But when you take a look at the ability of both teams to run the ball, and I would think given the offensive potency of both offenses, especially that of Miami, you want to maintain as ball control for as long as possible without allowing the other team to get on the field and develop any sort of offensive rhythm if they're sitting on the field for seven or eight minutes of playing time, which could easily be uh, 10 to 12 minutes of actual time with timeouts and commercials and things like that. So, Jim, let me ask you this. How is Jim Feist going to attack this football game? Two really, really high-profile football teams here. Uh, well, what, what are you looking at in the game? The game was won earlier, which I didn't quite understand. Philadelphia minus one at home. Um, you have a Super Bowl contender, could have won that game. It was a close battle. You're going against Miami coming out of Florida, coming up to the Northeast. In the weather potential issues that you have when you go to the Northeast. And Victor mentioned that right now, 16 to 19 mile an hour winds are predicted. So, That'll affect both teams, of course. But I played Philadelphia early. I did not play the total. But, again, looking at the money situation, it opened 53 and a half. One place has it 51 right now. Most of them have it 52. So this money has come in on the under. That You know, the statistics will say these two teams can play offense so they can put up points. However, let's look at the coaching. Both teams have good coaching. Defensively and offensively, they can make adjustments and change things and change the scope and the style and the, and the pace of the game, which is pace is very important, which is when you talk about those long seven-minute drives, that's, you know, pace. You're not trying to score fast. You're trying to grind it. So I don't really... I don't favor the over at all because of that. It's too scary with the wind on top of it. I would go with the money and go under, but um, now we're looking at lower numbers, so I'm just not going to play it. I played Philadelphia minus the one. I feel very comfortable with that. Jim Feist, on 
his former hometown team, the Philadelphia Eagles, in the football <laughs> game at a good number, of course. We wouldn't expect anything less. Uh, looking at the game, the way I see the game here, guys, is not only we're talking about all these offenses in these teams, Philadelphia has 56 yards a game, the better defense in the football game. I think that's a huge edge in a football contest like this. The ability to be able to stop the other team or take them out of their game. You've got Miami coming in here, a back-to-back wins of 14 or more points the last two games. Teams in the NFL that do that tend to regress, go back. Miami, the last six times they've done that, they're only one and five straight up into the number in a situation just like that. I think there's value to the Eagles here. And, you know, you might want to say that, well, they just had their bubble burst. Yes, they did. But we ran this through the well-oiled machine, and when teams that start out as they did, uh, coming out 5-0 and to start the season, they lose game six. When they go home after that loss, the last four times they've done that, they've won and covered all four games handily, I might add. Uh, I'm going to be on Philadelphia in the football game here. I think it's a winnable situation at home for a team that is really, I think, as good as anybody is in the NFC Obviously, San Francisco might say something about that, but Philadelphia is right up there with them. Uh, I know Miami will come in here. Uh, the Dolphins looking to avenge the Marlins' loss to the Phillies in the World Series, but I don't <laughs> think that's going to happen here. I'll be on Philadelphia in the football game for my side in this football contest as well. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. And with that, we're going to take a look now. Jim Feist, as he does every week, he does a preview uh, an overview of what happened in the National Football League last week. This is a much-watched video. Stay tuned. This is Jim Feist on the review of what happened in the NFL last week. Hello, everybody. Well, we watched the uh, Monday Night Football game, and normally I like to pick on Brandon Staley, but I really can't do that because I don't think he was that bad last night. Um Jerry Jones said that Dak was the guy. And I'll tell you, if he plays like he did last night, he is the guy. So it shows you that he has the talent. Um, he always did, but he's been around a couple of years, but he played tremendously last night. The guy that didn't play well last night was Justin Herbert. Wide open receivers, made a lot of mistakes, very embarrassing. And you wonder, oh, that's just a bad day. You, cr- you you chalk it up and move on. But this is a team with a ton of talent, and they just never seem to get it done. Uh, what a shame. But in any case, we move on. Let's take an overview of the NFL. Scoring is way down, probably about four or five points a game. I don't have the stats. I'm just going off things that I've read. Um, we've got a lot of quarterback injuries. We have a lot of new quarterbacks. We also have new offensive coordinators in different positions. we got some new head coaches. The, the league is in a... In a, in, a, in a downward spiral right now. And it's going to change. It's going to bounce back because, as we all do, we all get older. These players get older. And if you look at situations like Denver has, uh, you got an overpaid quarterback who's – I was a big fan of Russell Wilson, big, big fan of Russell Wilson. 
Not anymore. Um, and I don't know the man, but from what I see, he seems to be a little bit of a head case. And then Sean Payton comes in there to replace Hackett. He mouths off a little too much, and that's too much ego going off. So you got two egomaniacs there, Sean Payton and Russell Wilson, and they're just not getting it done. Based on what I see, uh, Russell's doing a little bit better than Sean is at his job. I don't think either one of them are top, top drawer right now. It would be easier for Sean to bounce back and start to performing at a at a higher level with the team and bringing I don't know if that's possible. Russell is uh, is an aging issue. You know, he get a little older, things start to hurt. You don't want to run around. You don't want to get hit too much. I understand all that happens. But that's a mess. Got a lot of messes out there. So here's what I'm saying, basically. As a gambler, as a better as an advisor, you have to be a little bit more cautious right now because you don't have high-quality performances. The league is a B league right now. Not an A league, it's a B league with a couple of A-minus teams. Even the best team, the champions, Kansas City. They're not playing at a top level. They're having trouble at the wide receiver getting separation. Mahomes is still great. Kelsey is still great. Andy Reid is still great. But they don't have the talent that they once had. So they have to either, they have to develop that or at the trading deadline, they have to bring in a wide receiver that can get some separation. And this is true for a lot of your teams. But then we're going to look at some teams that may start to tank because they want the high draft choices. I see a fall off with Arizona. They were pretty inspiring for a while, but now they're starting to fall off. They don't have the depth of talent. They don't have a frontline talent isn't that good. One of the biggest surprises is Stroud, quarterback for Houston. He's probably going to be the rookie of the year, the offensive player of the year. Might be, he'll be the rookie of the year. Somebody else will get play, offensive player of the year, I'm sure. Um so what we're looking at is we're looking at the year 2023-24 as being a subpar league. Still betting opportunities, but you must be careful. Now, if you look at the totals, and I said that the totals are scoring is way down. Well, this week, I mean, last week, I think there were two Overs and 13 unders? I wouldn't swear that that's the number, but it's really damn close. That's pretty incredible. And you're looking at most of the games this week already being a bet under. So we're not looking at a high performance from the offensive coordinators are not that good, and they're working with subpar talent with offensive lines and the quarterback's are not playing to a high level. Here's one stat last week. Carr for New Orleans, and New Orleans had 400 yards. <laughs> 13 points. I mean, this is crazy. Um, 
we're, we're going through a phase here and we have to approach, if we want to bet these games, we want to make money, we have to approach it a little bit differently than we have in the past. As promised, another great job by Jim Feist looking at what happened in the National Football League last week. And speaking about the National Football League last week, Victor King from the Totals Tip Sheet is going to take a look at the over-under review and a preview on this week's card. Victor, take it away. Hi again, everybody. It is Victor from Mark Lawrence's Playbook. And, of course, uh, this is your over-under review in the NFL for Week 6. And we've got a little bit of a preview for Week 7 as well. Now, to my right over here, you see the totals tip sheet newsletter. That's page one, and I'm sure you see the headline in that publication. The NFL underwhelming season hits a new low, and it certainly did last week. You know, just when you think that the offenses couldn't get any lower, they do. And already a low-scoring season literally fell right through the basement last week. Only three teams got 400 or more yards of offense, while a whopping 15 teams, that's more than half, had 300 or less total yards. There's only four teams this season in the NFL that are averaging 28 or more points per game on the season, those four teams being Miami, San Francisco, Buffalo, and Detroit, while half of the league, that's 16 teams, are averaging 21 or less points per game on the year. The official results for week six, that was last week, only two overs, 12 games went under the total. One of the games was at the tie, and that was the San Francisco-Cleveland game, depending on your closing line. The only two NFL games that went over the total last week were Miami versus Carolina, and Indianapolis versus Jacksonville. Not only that, but average points per game scored last week in the NFL, 36.7. That's a true blast from the past because numbers like that, they did not occur with regularity in the NFL since way back in the early 2000s. After six weeks now, in the NFL, there's been 36 overs. 56 unders, that's 61% under the total. And again, the average points per game for the entire season, a low 43.4 points per game of special note. Last week, again, all three of the prime time games, the NFL night games, ended up going under the total. Kansas City versus Denver on Thursday night, Buffalo versus the Giants on Sunday night, and then on Monday night, of course, the Cowboys and the Chargers also easily went under the total. NFL primetime games have gone under now at a 70% clip this season, six overs, 14 unders. And, of course, the average over-under line this week with the odds makers making their adjustments is a, is a very, very low 425 as we record our podcast here on Wednesday, that's a very, very low 42.5. When will the low scoring stop in the NFL? Who knows? But with that said, we're going to throw out a free play for you. Now, this is going to be in the Thursday night game. If you have access to the Thursday night game, it's a non-conference affair. The first of this week's three primetime games will be 
taking us to the Big Easy in New Orleans with the Saints hosting the Jaguars in a non-conference battle after opening at 41 and a half points. The line has crashed and burned. It's come down to about 39. And that low number, again, is not surprising for a couple of reasons. First off, the sharp over-under betters are aware of the 70% under the total percentage in the primetime games. But not only that, if you want to check out the hottest under team in the NFL, it would have to be the host New Orleans Saints. Dating back to Halloween of last season, New Orleans, last 16 NFL games have gone an amazing one over and 15 unders with a low average of only 31.5 combined points per game. Now, I also ran a query for low line games on this particular day of the week. NFL Thursday games with a low over underline of 40 or less points have gone six and 20. That's six overs, 20 unders since 2008. That's 77% under the total. And that includes one and 10 over under in non-division play like this game. Sealing the deal is the fact that these two teams, the Jaguars and the Saints, have gone a combined 10 and 23 over under on Thursdays in the history of our database. Jacksonville 6 and 9 over under all time on Thursdays, but 0 and 4 in the last five years. New Orleans 4 and 14 over under all time on Thursdays, but an amazing 1 and 11 in the last 10 years. If you have time to get some action in on the Thursday night play, we'll recommend going under the total with the Jaguars and the Saints game. That is it for your review of week six, your preview of week seven. Don't forget this week's totals tip sheet newsletter is available at playbooksports.com. And let's get back to the Mark Lawrence against the spread podcast. Best of luck with all your selections in week seven. And as we always do every week, Andy Isco from Las Vegas is going to key is, us in on the line moves, the major line moves that are happening in Las Vegas this week. Andy, if you would, do us the favor. Greetings. This is Andy Isco from Las Vegas with our weekly line move update based upon movements in significant movements in lines between the 10-day advanced line, which in this case was posted the Tuesday before game uh, week number six was played, lines for week seven, and then the adjusted lines that came up Sunday afternoon after week six games were basically complete, except for the Sunday night and Monday night games, which also required a little bit of adjustments. Let's begin with the Thursday night game uh, this Thursday, October 19th, between Jacksonville and the Saints. The advanced line before the Jaguars and Saints each played this past weekend, the Jaguars were one-point road favorites. When the lines were reposted, on Sunday afternoon, the game actually opened a pick 'em, and early money came in on the New Orleans Saints to push that line up to three. Much of that had to do with the, at the time, questionable status of Trevor Lawrence, the Jacksonville quarterback. Apparently, the signs are that he's likely to play on Thursday night, the short week notwithstanding. That line has come back down to the Saints now a one-point home favorite. 
Turning to uh, Sunday, October 22nd, the Las Vegas Raiders at the Chicago Bears. Both teams nursing quarterback injuries, Garoppolo for the Raiders and uh, Fields for the Bears, both of whom are questionable as we do this uh, recording uh, midweek. Uh, the Raiders, the advance line had the Raiders as one-point favorites. They then went out and beat New England on Sunday as the Bears lost at home to the Minnesota Vikings. So the line was reposted on Sunday evening with the Raiders now a three-point road favorite. Got as high as three and a half before settling back down to three. And to me, that indicates quite likely that the Garoppolo is more likely to play than Justin Fields. But we still need to wait uh, await further information on that. Interesting move in the total, which perhaps suggests that neither quarterback may play. The advance line was 46 and a half. Following that game on Sunday, the uh, line came out with a total of 42, which indicates at least one, if not both, might not be playing. That line has been bet further down to 37 and a half. That's a nine-point movement in the total since the 10-day advance line. Cleveland will be at the Indianapolis Colts. Cleveland opened a two-point favorite in the advance line, bet up to two and a half. However, when the line came out uh, Sunday afternoon, the Colts were made one-point home favorites. The game then went down to pick. However, the movement has now been the other way, back to the Browns, and are now two-point road favorites. Detroit will be at Baltimore in an interesting interleague matchup. The uh, total in this game is what was interesting. It opened at 45 in the advance line, and then not much of an adjustment Sunday afternoon when the line opened at 44 and a half, got bet down as low as 41, but it has started to creep back up where the line is now 42. Still three points down from the advance line, but higher than its lowest point of the week. The Pittsburgh Steelers will be at the LA Rams the Rams opened uh, three-point home favorites. Uh, there was some early movement after it was reposted at three. It went as high as Rams minus four and uh, then bet down to two and a half Rams. It's now back up to three. So some of the perhaps arbitragers taking advantage of that early line perhaps took the plus four and then saw the uh, uh, minus two when it came up a little bit later. It's now at minus three. Kansas City will be hosting the, uh, the L.A. Chargers in one of the more important games this week. Uh, the uh, total is the one that was interesting in that game. The line didn't move much. The Chiefs varying between five and a half to six-point home favorites. But the advance line had the total in what was projected to be a high-scoring game was 52. When it was reposted Sunday evening, the line was down to 50 and a half. And since then, in the uh, 48 to 72 hours since then, the line has been bet down further. The total now 40. 47 and a half, so a four and a half point move from the advanced total. And finally, uh, much anticipated eagerly, eagerly, or maybe eagerly awaited Sunday night game because it'll be the Eagles hosting the Miami Dolphins, two leading contenders to make the Super Bowl from their respective conferences. The advanced line had the Eagles as three-point home favorites. After Sunday's actions, in which the Dolphins trailed Carolina at home 14-0 before coming back and winning 42-21, and Philadelphia unable to hold a late lead as they lost on the road to the New York Jets, the line was reposted with the Eagles as a two-point home favorite. Uh, then the line was bet up to two and a half and then down to one and a half. Interesting movement before it ever got up to three. It's now up to two as we await further uh, line movements between now and the uh, playing of the games on Sunday. And so with that line recap moves recap, I'll send it back to Mark. Outstanding job once again by Andy Isco from Las Vegas as he keeps us in tune with all the major line moves that are happening in the National Football League this week. And you can pick up Andy's contest 
standings. His, what's happening on the Vegas contest in Las Vegas in his standalone segment here? Jim, I know you got a question for Andy about the Vegas contest as they're going on this year. Well, yeah, Andy, with all the upsets this year and a couple of the the undefeated teams going down last week, are there any people left in the Survivor? Well, uh, that's sort of going to be covered in the standalone segment that we have. But as a little bit of a tease, I will answer the the give you the answer yes. And there are several reasons for that. Okay, number one, they had 9,267 entries this year, which is about 3,000 more than they had last year when the guarantee was $6 million. It's an $8 million guarantee. So the Circa, which uh, barely got over the minimum they needed last year in the Survivor Contest, got over uh, by $1.267 million this year that they don't have to contribute into the fund because there's no uh, shortfall. So one of the reasons... Uh, that they do have uh, contestants left is that there are so many entries to start with. Now, actually, as far as the answer to your question, there are slightly under 1,800 of those 9,267 that still remain. That's a shade under uh, 20% of the original field. Now, why there are so many entries despite the upsets last week, you're talking specifically Philadelphia and San Francisco, the two unbeaten teams. A, you can only use these teams once. So several of the contestants or many of the contestants have already used Philadelphia in the past or San Francisco in the past. And B, especially in the case of San Francisco, you need to have teams available for Thanksgiving week, and, which is broken into two segments, Thanksgiving Day and, and uh, Black Friday, the, the Jet Miami game. And Christmas is also broken up into two separate contest weeks, uh, all the games through Christmas Eve, the 24th, and then the three Christmas Day games on the 25th, where I think San Francisco is uh, in one of the, either the Thanksgiving or the or the Christmas Day game, where San Francisco is involved and contestants may have waited to use that. So in fact, as a matter of fact, um, uh, the uh, number of people who lost with the Philadelphia Eagles last week when they lost to the Jets, only 25 contestants out of the, at that time, 1,800 plus remaining contestants were on the Eagles. Only 13 were on the uh, 49ers, again, because either they haven't used them yet or they already had used them. Andy, you mentioned uh, the Thanksgiving Day and the Christmas uh, totals uh, being a separate week all unto themselves. And my comment on that is this is uh, I caught my wife this week watching Christmas shows on the Hallmark Channel. <laughs> Too early, Colleen. I'll tell her. I'll <laughs> I'll let her know. Her answer to that is it's never too early. But uh, when you mentioned Christmas, that's exactly what I thought of when I saw her watching another Christmas show on the Hallmark Channel. Well, hey, I, by the way, by the way, I can remember. I can. Re uh, it was Thanksgiving. San Francisco is at Seattle for Thanksgiving night game, and uh, Philadelphia. Let me see. I, I don't believe they play on either Christmas Day or uh, Christmas Eve. Let me see the Christmas Eve. No, I'm sorry, they do. In fact, this is probably a reason why they hold Philadelphia. They're hosting the New York Giants on Christmas Day. Uh, the other team, Kansas City, another team that was not used all that much over the past uh, uh, few weeks. They host the Raiders on Christmas Day, and a lot of people are looking for that one. And San Francisco, which also played on Thanksgiving to, uh, at Seattle, they actually play on Christmas night. Uh, they host Baltimore. So that may be another reason why San Francisco has not yet been chosen for what might be down to, I'm going to say at Christmas, you might have maybe one to 100 to 150 remaining still with the large field. Hey, with that, guys, let's bring Greg in, our producer here. And, uh, Greg, you've got everybody together on the show here. This is one of our favorite segments. We're going to call it our roundtable segment, where 
Greg throws out the questions and we've got the answers. Greg, if you will, <laughs> take it away. Yeah, I'll be doing this as long as uh, up until the time the viewers uh, start bringing in their own questions. Uh, and again, remind everybody uh, that they can do that. Uh, so we'll uh, uh, anxiously await the viewers to let us know what's on their mind. And also want to remind everybody we're up to 420 subscribers. So last week we said our next goal was 500. So we're off to a pretty good start. Uh, we are uh, a fifth of the way there. So uh, hopefully we'll be more than half the way there on next week's show. Don't forget to subscribe, share, and like uh, the show, obviously, if you enjoy what you are watching. All right, let's. Uh, I, I got to ask you guys about that San Francisco-Cleveland game because you touched up on it a little bit before. So I don't know what you felt, uh, but San Francisco gets the first down, 45 seconds left, uh, receiver runs out of bounds, they don't have any timeouts. At that point, they decide to go for the field goal. They run the ball for three yards. They spike the ball, they let the clock run, and they put the game in the hands of a rookie kicker at a reasonable distance, but it's still over 40 yards. You mentioned he already missed it. The weather conditions are tough. Did you think Kyle Shanahan did the right thing? settling for the field goal and again 45 seconds you could still throw the ball a couple of times you could still stop it they spiked it or do you think that they did the right thing i think shanahan uh, made a huge mistake earlier than that even if you will greg uh, when he uh, drafted this place kicker and cut robbie gold i mean this guy's a hall of fame place kicker and he's still got leg and he's still got yards he's still got accuracy but they wanted to go a different direction we saw it last year, Victor, when the Browns made uh, Cade York, I think, a fourth-round pick right. uh, for the Browns. We had a boomer leg, and he boomed himself right out of town with a, a few very <laughs> inconsistent kicks. And uh, this kid from Michigan was highly touted, a third-round pick. And I know he's got all the confidence in the world in him, but I think looking back over his shoulder here, I think Shanahan might be second-guessing himself. You know, people learn. Uh, coaches learn. Teams learn. Cleveland's had a, has a veteran kicker right now as well in Hopkins. That's their better than kicker. Uh, what we've learned is that we don't waste draft picks on kickers. Please, please don't. But to Greg's point, yes, San Francisco's last play was a Jordan Mason three-yard run that got to the Cleveland 26-yard line with 45 seconds left in the game, and they let the clock run and finally called their final timeout with, what, about uh, nine seconds left in the game, resulting in the missed field goal. In regards to that, I would have done the same thing as the head coach as well. But again, I reverberate back to the fact that we had to rely on a rookie kicker, uh, not smart from the get-go. You know, one thing also with regard to that game, and I'm going to throw this out to uh, uh, Andy and uh, Jim, if I will, everybody in Cleveland was elated. I mean, there's no better euphoria than your hometown team knocking off the best team in football, especially as an underdog. And now everybody in the city of Cleveland has got an extra bounce in their step this week. And it was all because of a missed field goal. <laughs> and if, if the missed field doesn't occur, they're down in the dumps in Cleveland here again this week. Uh, uh, so how do you look at this, Jim, when you're approaching a game? Uh, you know, they were fortuitous in doing just that, but they did it because of their defense. Uh, do you see Cleveland uh, coming up with as strong of an effort this week as they did last week? Is it possible to get up like that against the Indianapolis Colts as opposed to playing the San Francisco 49ers? Well, I'm going to go – one point that you made about cutting Robbie Gold, I think that was the big mistake. But this is the same team that spent a lot of draft capital to get Trey Lance. So they do make mistakes. 
Now, as far as that's concerned, they're going to Indianapolis, and Indianapolis just ruled out their starting quarterback for the year. He's yep. having surgery on his shoulder, and they're they're playing with Minshew now. And Minshew is a is a good backup. He comes in in the middle of a game after something happens to the starter, and he usually looks pretty good. But his history is he's not looked that good when you prepare for him. And he didn't look very good last week. Now, Minshew's going to be going good up. Good point, Jim. Real good point. Sorry. Very tough defense. And Cleveland's defense is just remarkably good. I don't know that they can come with the same spirit that they had last week. I, probably doubtful. But by the same token, they don't have a quarterback, at least at this point. We don't know who, if they're going with the same guy they had last week. He didn't look very good, and the defense knows that they're going to have to step up if they're going to have a chance in this game because he did not look like he was NFL ready. We don't know about Deshaun Watson. We have no idea what's going on with his shoulder. Uh, they, they announce him in, and he doesn't play, and so it's a little bit of a mess there. But Cleveland is used to being in the dumps. They've been in the dumps for about a half a century. So rub it in, why don't you? Are you you're talking about Deshaun Watson <laughs> rubbing it in or uh, the Cleveland oh, come, on. come on, that's too easy. Hey, all he yeah. needs is a good massage, Deshaun Watson. He could be back on the field. I mean, my goodness. I don't know that he didn't pay him enough money. I mean, you know, $230 million guaranteed. I mean, why should he have to play? <laughs> Hey, Greg, I'm sorry. We kind of got on a divergent, uh, off a divergent path there. I, I think we kind of answered your question. Yes. Uh, and I, I didn't mean to jump in there with you and start uh, answering other questions. So. Okay. I, I, I did I did have one comment that I wanted yes. to make about last week's game that you were discussing about whether the decision was right. And, of course, if the field goal goes through, nobody's questioning the decision. But to me, the, the key can come down to two things. You want to make sure, and we've seen other coaches make this mistake, I think we talked about it a few weeks ago with uh, McDaniel's uh, situation with the field goal uh, that ended up uh, not being good. You don't want the other team to have an opportunity to get the ball to end the game. So uh, you wait as long as possible and you're going to put it on the leg. Yes, it's a rookie kicker. Yeah, maybe they could have tried to gain a few more yards if it wasn't fourth down. Uh, to, uh, uh, to to get that. But at the same time, the, the conditions were such that it was a low-scoring game, and even if they got the ball back with 32 seconds remaining or something, based upon how the game was played, Cleveland was not going to go down the field, uh, uh, go down the field, and take the lead back from San Francisco. So I really can't argue with the results, as opposed to if this were, say, a game that had been like 34-31, and these teams were scoring and moving the ball at will. All right. Uh- Speaking of San Francisco, last week you guys talked about how the Niners, and understandably so, probably the best team in football, and then they go out and lose. And everybody was kind of saying the same thing about Dallas after the first couple of weeks, and then they went out and lost. So we know how it is in the NFL. Uh, It's a long season. We go through these stretches. We seem to anoint teams as the best team early in the season, and, and, and sometimes it changes. So as of right now, do you still believe in the Niners as the best team in the NFL? Well, if, if, uh, if that's an open for, to jump in, if they're healthy, they got, you know, the CMC and Debo and their offensive line is, is, is intact. 
I think they're the best team in football because I think they have solid coaching, uh, solid play calling, solid quarterback play, and their defense is very, very strong. I think they're the best team in football. But not too far behind is Philadelphia, which I think is also very solid. The big question at Philadelphia was their offensive and defensive coordinators leaving after last year. And I don't think that is shown up to be an issue. I think they made some mistakes last week. Yeah, but it, sometimes it's good to lose. I don't know that anybody wants to go undefeated anymore because it just it, – it, it puts you in a situation where you think you're too good and you, you don't focus on what you're doing week to week. So it might have been good for both these teams to lose at this point, uh, to refocus and, and buckle down. As long as injuries uh, – Step don't step in and, and cripple you a little bit. I agree, Jim. I think one loss does not ruin a season, especially during the regular portion. Obviously, the playoffs, obviously, you're dead in the water. But uh, it was one loss is all it was for San Francisco. One loss is all it was for Philadelphia. And we'll see how they react this particular week. Uh, ironically, it was a backup quarterback that beat San Francisco. And just think back to last year when San Francisco was forced to use a backup quarterback uh, because of the quarterback injury situations they had, and it turned out to be Brock Purdy. So, you know, while you like to rally around a backup quarterback on a team like Cleveland did with P.J. Walker last week, you never know what's going to happen with that backup quarterback. He can turn into a Brock Purdy, or he can be back on the bench here real quick. Yeah, I would say that uh, San Francisco has the best balanced roster in the league. Normally, that would mean you're the best team in the league, and if you're the best team in the league, it means that you should be the favorite and perhaps win the Super Bowl. But football is unique in that you don't have a best of three, best of five. It comes down to several one-game seasons at the end. And when you look at the other leading contenders, let's throw Dallas in there for a moment for the uh, NFC. Uh, let's throw uh, Kansas City, Cincinnati, Buffalo, and even Miami in there. I think all six of those teams are capable of winning. Maybe Dallas might be the least uh, – uh, Philadelphia also, let me throw in there because I don't think I mentioned them. So those seven teams – all have chances to win. It all comes down as to which team plays its best football on those multiple one-game seasons. But, yes, I think San Francisco is the best team in the league, certainly based on both off the talent, uh, on both offense and defense with their balance. Andy mentioned his best balanced roster in the NFL. You can make a case that the Niners have the best balanced statistics in the NFL as well. you got a top-five offense. you got a top-three defense. They're the only team in the NFL that has a point differential that's close to 100 on the season. I think they're uh, plus 97 in points scored versus points allowed uh, after six games. That comes out to a winning margin. Of, uh, they're winning their average game by 16 points per game. One of the things that we did, I think, learn potentially is that Christian McCaffrey, uh, I know he's about fifth or sixth at voting for MVP. Maybe that's the pick. He's 15 to one to win the MVP and he might've just proven to everybody that he might be the most valuable player in the NFL because you took Christian McCaffrey out of the game and Brock Purdy looked like Mr. Irrele Mr. Irrelevant after all. Good point. Real good point. And what's wrong with 15 to one with the best player on the team? I don't think that's going to likely be in the Super Bowl this year. I think yeah. that's a great position to be in. Um, and then sticking with the best teams. And I know you guys, don't really talk too much about futures on the show, but I got to ask you here. I'm going to give you a bunch of teams and you tell me which one of these teams that you think is the best bargain 
as a Super Bowl future, if you're actually you're at you're at the window at Vegas, somebody handed you a hundred bucks and said, "Okay, you got to put this hundred bucks on one of these teams to win the Super Bowl." You got Cincinnati and Jacksonville at twenty-five to one. You got the Chargers and the Browns at thirty to one. I'll give you Seattle at forty to one. The Packers at eighty to one. And I'll also add in the Jets in case Aaron Rodgers returns at ninety to one. So, Jim, uh, which one of those teams would you put a hundred bucks on? Well, I don't, I don't know how much your of your bankroll a hundred bucks represents, but I would sprinkle a couple of dollars on some of those long shots, especially the Rodgers one because of the defense that they have there, and they're they're playing well on the defensive side of the ball. They're not producing much on the offensive side, but if he would come back, which would be absolutely a miracle after that injury. But I'm going to throw one thing out at you. If you like San Francisco as I do, you're not going to get much if you bet them to win the Super Bowl. But if you like San Francisco and you like McCaffrey as the best player, the guy that might win the MVP, I might bet McCaffrey because if they win the Super Bowl, he might get the MVP because of that, and you're getting 16 to 1 as opposed to a lesser number if you bet San Francisco. And they give the MVP out right after the regular season? I think it's announced uh, be- between the last championship game and the Super Bowl, if I'm not correct. I so that actually even works in your favor, Jim, because they don't even have to win the Super Bowl. And <laughs> if they lose the Super Bowl, he could still get the MVP. That is true. I mean, it's it's just a it's just a number play where you're getting sixteen to one or basically playing the favorite. Greg, Greg, what were the first two combinations you listed? That Cincinnati and Jacksonville at twenty five to one, and the ones at thirty to one. Cleveland and the Chargers. Uh, I'd like to bet Cleveland, but we don't know about the uh, uh, the quarterback situation. Just because of their defense keeps them in a game, but that would be like Jim said, a reason to play the Jets. The only problem with the Jets is. We don't know as well as he's recovering if he would get medical clearance to play uh, in these seasons, which he has to receive. I actually have Miami at 30 to 1. They're considerably less than that right now. I made that back in April. But I might go with Cincinnati uh, if we continue to see. Well, of course, the odds could change after this weekend. But Burrow looked sharp two weeks ago. He was capable enough against Seattle. And that's going to improve their running game. And it's going to improve their uh uh, their defense as well because the defense won't have the pressure that they face the first three or four weeks. I'm with you. I'm in, uh, in agreement with the Cincinnati Bengals. Definitely uh, best value there. And uh, to finish it off, Greg, uh, I added a little bit of my um, uh, my portfolio of NFL MVP wagers. I did add Jared Goff, the quarterback of the Detroit mm-hmm. Lions, who I think is some very, very good value uh, for the NFL MVP as well, particularly uh, the way they're playing these days. What's the number on that, Victor? It's uh, 20 to 1 right now. Right, right. 20 that's to 1 that, last time I looked at what's the, uh, what's the price on the, on the really Lions? Good. To win the Lions Super Bowl? Super Bowl. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 13, I believe. 13? Yeah, yeah. 13. I think yeah. so, yeah. Yeah, they, they, because their defense has played a lot better and they've been able to run the ball, although I think Montgomery's yeah. going to be out for a bit. One thought I have on that is, in, like the Detroit Lions, it's a football team that a lot was expected from the beginning of the season, and they're delivering the goods. Oh. But they came out of nowhere last year to put themselves in the conversation. Now that they're in the conversation, they're inching themselves up to where 
they're in the mix. I mean, everybody's got them in the playoffs right now. And, you know, can they continue to keep improving on that number? And if they do, at what point will they bust? Because Detroit is famous for choking in the playoffs. It's fun seeing them mature, though. You're yes. seeing the evolution of a NF potential NFL dynasty here. They're doing things that good teams are supposed to do, and that's beat up the teams on the road like they did last week against Tampa Bay. And keep in mind, last year, they won eight of their last ten games to show that improvement to finish nine and eight, and that uh, final win was when they knocked Green Bay out of the playoffs on that Sunday night game in Green Bay after they had already been eliminated earlier in the day from their own playoffs, I think, when Seattle won. So uh, this is a Detroit team. Allah was expected. You know, I I want to say – it's been many, many years, but I think we saw uh, when they were the Washington Redskins. I think it was the it was either the, the season before the first strike in '81 or maybe in 1980. It was where they closed the second half of the previous season on a run like Detroit had, and then ended up winning the Super Bowl the following year. So it's not unprecedented. Uh, it doesn't happen very often that a team finishes one season and carries that mo- momentum over as deep into the following season as Detroit has. The, uh, the, the the players like to play for this coach. Campbell has really got them together offensively and defensively. I remember in his first press conference, he was going to break knees and and, all, yep. all, and everybody sort of downplayed him as being a kook. He's not a kook. He's doing a hell of a job. No, he's got their attention, that's for sure. By the way, they're 13-3 and three in their last 16. By the way, what's the question, or one question here, does anybody know the odds on Campbell being coach of the year? Coach he's of the year. The, he's got to be in the running right now for sure. Uh, yeah. I would think he's probably uh, I've got digit. that. Coach of the year. He's the favorite. No, really? At plus wow. 250. Wow. And the other co-favorite, I'm going to let you guys guess. Kyle Shanahan. That would be my guess. No, he's third choice. Oh, with the uh, McDaniel of, uh, yes. of, uh, the, of the Dolphins. Yep, Mike McDaniel. Shanahan is next, and D'Amico Ryans is. I thought you were going to say McDaniel of the Raiders, Andy. He's not reading the list upside down. Since you're on the top of the coaches, you know, their offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, yeah. is going to be a big name in the offseason. Yeah. Yeah. Someone's yeah. going to hire him as their head coach next year. Yeah. And that I is going to be a big – the Patriots should hire him. That is going to be a big hole. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it will. So, and then how, then how the heck does Detroit fill that hole? Yes, goes? That's, that's huge. Um, lastly, I want to ask you guys a college question. Uh, USC – actually, this is regarding – also a trend. Uh, this is a trend question. And this was, if I can get it. Oh, here it is. Um, USC uh, against Utah this week. You guys touched up on it already. And they have this trend of the Trojans overall that says, uh, if I can get it here. Here it is. They're 7-1 and one against the spread with conference revenge versus an opponent off a straight-up ATS win. So 7-1. and one, That's nice. Here's the trick, though. The loss was last year against Utah. In the championship game of the Pac-12. So how do you handle that trend? Do you just crumble it up and throw it out? Or do you still stick with the 7-1 number? I think think if you like Southern Cal anyway, that's nice. If you like Utah, it may give you reason to pause until you take a look at the USC defense. 
The USC defense, Andy, though, is a lot like the Oklahoma defenses were. It's it's Lincoln Riley infused, if you will. Uh, <laughs> there's very little of it, if you will, and it's probably why USC or Lincoln Riley will never win a national championship. But this weekend, this is the biggest game they've had circled on their schedule all season long. When Utah took them out twice last year and once in the championship game. Uh, when we did the playbook newsletter, I was torn between this because Utah is the kind of team you love to you love to handicap and you love to bet. You got a great coach, good football team. It's in every game they play, great underdog and all that good stuff. But you've got in Lincoln Riley a team that almost never loses at home. He's forty and two straight up at home in his career. Twenty straight wins in a row from game six on out. So, do you factor in this huge double revenge chip that Southern Cal has on their shoulder, or do you back the team with the better? Defensive stats. That's well, I'm, all, I'm also looking at the way they lost last week to Notre Dame, which may have been the second biggest game, probably even bigger than their rivalry with UCLA. Uh, they put a lot into that game, and the weaknesses that they had showed that we were trying to write off, you know, against Arizona State, against uh, uh, the Arizona the week before when they lost in triple overtime, going back to the Colorado comeback. It showed up again last week. That's got to be a concern against the, again, it's a Utah team that is very well coached. They're certainly not going to be intimidated by playing USC. My question to you, as far as that, that long home winning streak, when they lost those two games, were they favored by significant numbers or were they favored in a point spread range that was sort of like now, which again, we talked about double digit favorites in the case of an Alabama and uh, one of the other teams we talked about, Ohio State. It, was it a game in which it was expected to be more competitive than most of the games they played? Correct me if I'm wrong, Victor, but I believe he was a double-digit chalk in one of those games. I think it was like a stunning upset, if you will. I don't think people saw it coming. Maybe it was because they weren't playing well at the time. So I don't think he really choked uh, playing against a good football team. I think he was rather stunned in the football game. Oh, and by the way, they have the same defensive – he has the same defensive coordinator that he brought with him from, from Oklahoma. So oh. if you want to know why, right. why their defense. Yeah. Well, somebody uh, said, want to know what pictures he's got on Lincoln Riley that he doesn't want to expose. <laughs> you know, obviously the way to attack USC is to go after that uh, very, very weak, vulnerable defense, particularly the secondary, but with Cam rising, not playing for Utah, Utah does not have what it takes offensively to go Man. score for score with USC here. I'm not playing the total, but I am laying the points. It's like a counter puncher going up against uh, uh, Joe Frazier or Mike Tyson, if you will. You know, how long it will before that punch lands and will he be able to go the whole 15 rounds? Well, the interesting thing is Utah, you could probably look at them as a very similar type team to Notre Dame. Obviously, Notre Dame has the quarterback. Utah doesn't. But the defense, very similar. So they were able to find a way to rattle Caleb Williams, Notre Dame, we can't hold it past uh, Utah to do the same. And by the way, we talked about this a lot on our on, on, when we do our show, Mark, and that, on on my uh, channel. And that is, whenever a team has the situation what USC has, where they've lost three straight now against Utah, lost both games, including the playoff game last year or the championship game, and yet they're the touchdown favorite. And in that situation, many times, I, as we've talked about, I love going with the disrespected team. Uh, and not all the time, but most of the time, because statistically speaking, I think that's the way to go. It's, it's, it's just showing disrespect to the team that's beaten that team. And now you're just saying, yeah, there's a seven-point favorite. They beat you twice last year. They're, they're, they're still the seven-point favorite. 
it's a little bit of what worked for the longest time in college football rivalry games. Uh, you know, they're good games to begin with just because they're rivals. You're going to get the best game you can out of the underdog in the contest. Even if he's bad, he's still going to probably step up and play his best game. Uh, but the question is, is, you know, how long will he be able to sustain and make a game of it from start to finish? All right. That's it for, uh, for me and this segment. And, uh, as I, as I close out, uh, Andy, do you want to give your pick? You ready for that? Yeah, yeah I am. And I'm going to go back to the uh, game between, uh, Indianapolis and Cleveland, it was sort of touched upon before when we were discussing the uh, Cleveland-San Francisco game. You know, everybody was on, not everybody, but, you know, figuratively, everybody was on the Colts last week. And the one factor I did not hear brought up about that game was that, uh, to a certain extent, that Jacksonville beat the Colts earlier in the year at Indianapolis. In fact, week one. Week one. But for that game to mean anything, Jacksonville couldn't afford to give that game back with a loss last week. Otherwise, that game that they won in Indianapolis wouldn't have meant nearly as much, if anything, at all. So I happen to be one of the few people, right, filling in a few, that liked Jacksonville last week because of the uh, situation and the importance of that game. A lot of people were on the Colts, I think, largely because Jacksonville oh, yeah. was coming back from back-to-back games in right. London. Well, sometimes it has an effect. Sometimes it doesn't have an effect. And again, if you've been accustomed for two weeks, uh, you come back and it's a little bit easier because the time is earlier than you're used to. It's supposed to uh, being a little bit later and you're up later in the day. So they were able to catch up on their sleep and everything. Because yeah, that in the fact that Jacksonville was one in 14 the last 15 games as a favorite, you know, yeah. in, in that same <laughs> circumstance. So, you know, that kind yeah. of magnified it a little bit. Yeah. Um, both teams uh, are, are, quite possibly relying on backup quarterbacks in this game. We don't know about uh, Watson for Cleveland. Uh, we know rookie Richardson is out for the season for the Colts, so they will go with Walker if uh, Watson doesn't play. And, of course, uh, Minshew uh, will be playing for the Colts, mm-hmm. although, uh, again, as I mentioned, Watson, I believe he missed practice today, and they still list him as uh, questionable. Uh, we're talking uh, Wednesday afternoon. Colts are off uh, their second loss this season to division rival Jacksonville, whereas the Browns are off of their stunning home upset of San Francisco. And it would not be surprising, as you alluded to earlier, if they suffered a bit of a letdown here heading to the road. It's already a negative scheduling spot for Cleveland. They are off three home games and their bye, meaning they last played on the road in week two. So they're comfortable. They've been comfortable with home cooking and the home routine. Now for the first time in roughly a month and a half, they've got to take uh, to the road. And by the way, that week two road game was that uh, a game in which they outplayed Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh lost right. on the Monday night mm-hmm. on the uh, two special team uh, defensive touchdowns in that right. game. Uh, with running back Taylor back in the fold for the uh, Colts, they now have a better balanced offense. And aside from the Jaguars, who in both games limited the Colts to just 65 and 44 yards rushing, in the four games in between week one and week six, uh, the Colts averaged nearly 150 yards per game rushing, uh, rushing between uh, a minimum of 126 and a maximum of 193. So their running game has been solid all season. Cleveland's own rushing game uh, suffered since Chubb was uh, lost for the season, although they did rush for 160 yards 
uh, in the win over the 49ers, although uh, it was on 34 carries, still a good average, but the conditions were uh, making the con- were not conducive to having a great deal of passing uh, success. Uh, both teams have played both Baltimore and Tennessee. The Colts won both of those games. The Browns defeated the Titans, uh, but lost to the uh, Ravens. Uh, Cleveland's had a negative turnover margin in all five of their games this year, whereas the Colts uh, were won the turnover battle three times, lost twice, and were uh, even in one game. So uh, I don't like the scheduling, scheduling spot for uh, Cleveland. I like backing the Colts uh, as a short underdog, meaning I'm basically looking for them to uh, win this game. And uh, I will be on the Indianapolis Colts this weekend. Hey, Jim, Andy brings out a great point in the football game. And I, don't, I wonder if you use it as well in your approach to the National Football League. But you had the Browns three in a row at home with a bye week sandwich in the middle of all that. That means it's been a month that this football team hasn't slept in a, a hotel, unless obviously uh, one of the players' wives threw them out. But uh, <laughs> uh, how do you approach that, Jim, uh, with the scheduling spot that Cleveland's in this particular week? It, it, there's not a lot of travel between Ohio and Indianapolis. True. I mean, it's it's a, it's a close trip. You you, I I don't I don't factor that in very much. As a matter of fact, Cleveland played at home last week, and Indianapolis was on the road, um, so and they had a little travel already after that game. You know, I think you have a pedigree issue here with with the quarterbacks. As long as Deshaun Watson doesn't play, and you have the backup quarterback for the Browns, who did not look very good last week, neither quarterback looked very good last week. I think the Colts. Uh, have an advantage with Minshew. He's been around the league. He's started games. He's played as a backup for a longer period of time. And I, be, I believe, you know, it's, it's why, why are the Browns favored if you don't have Watson as quarterback? What is the, what, because of their defense? Well, the Colts have a pretty decent defense as well. I think the Colts plus the points is the right side, honestly. You know, by the way, I'll just mention that when you extrapolate lines and let I know the home field advantage is no longer three points, but let's use that as an example. If Cleveland is a two point road favorite, that means they'd be a one point. uh, uh, They'd be a five point favorite on a neutral field and an eight point favorite at home. And I certainly would look to take the Colts plus eight at Cleveland. So I think that this line more accurately should be probably closer to a pick uh, but again, the backup quarterback situation uh, and the possibility of Watson playing may be uh, accounting for that uh, that current line. Hey, Victor, I know your heart's in Cleveland. Where's your money going to be on this game? Well, we're going to uh, uh, pass on our opinion because that's one of our totals tip sheet plays. Okay, good. But I think a lot of sharp people can probably figure out which way we're going. <laughs> yeah, if they listen to the conversation, Indy, at all, I'm sure they can do just that. And you want to pick up Victor's NFL totals tip sheet, guys, all kinds of great information. You hear it on the show week after week after week. It's a great read. It's the only over-under totals tip sheet in the country devoted to the National Football League. You can get it for download now at playbooksports.com. Jim, before I let you and Andy go, any final thoughts that you have in this week's NFL football card? Well, there's a lot of thoughts. We discussed some of them offline before the show ever started, Mark, you and I, about the general overview of the league. But I'm going to stick with the Eagles. I think the Eagles are in a perfect situation uh, with a very low line. Granted, I like it better at the line than it was, but it's still, at least if you're going to play the Eagles and you don't want to lay the points, just play the money line. It's not that expensive. 
Well, I know you. that's what Jim Weiss will do. He won't lay two and a half. He'll lay the money line. <laughs> that's I love that <laughs> philosophy, too, by the way. <laughs> okay, guys, thanks a lot. That was Andy Isco and Jim Feist both joining us from Las Vegas. And with that, we're going to roll it over into our awesome angle of the week. And Victor and I will wrap up the show with our complimentary plays. Let me get to that awesome angle of the week, if I may. We call our awesome angle this week, Ugly Betty. Last week, our play was the New York Giants, and they sure fit the Ugly Betty role last week when they played Sunday night football and cashed the ticket. We think we've got another such play on tap this week. What we're looking to do in the awesome angle is to play against any National Football League non-division road favorite from game seven on out. They played six games, and they now have stats that you can sink your teeth into. So from game seven on out, and they allow 4.6 or more defensive yards per rush. They've got a leaky rush defense. They're on the road as a non-division favorite from game seven on out. Since 2020, we've had 34 plays, and these teams have gone 10 and 24 against the spread. You turn that around, that's 24 and 10 playing the home dog in this situation here. This home dog we're going to play is the ugly Betty New England Patriots, who <laughs> have not won a home game this year. We all know about how ugly it's been up in Foxborough with the Patriots. Now you're bringing a Buffalo Bills football team in here whose defense is atrocious. Their rush defense is just that. I'm going to look for Bill Belichick to expose just that. If I can find it, I know Bill Belichick can find it. I'm going to play New England plus the points here, and I think this game is going to come right down to the wire, let alone being a close football game. I think it's going to go right down to the wire, and don't be surprised if Bill Belichick wins a football game. Let me clarify the, the awesome angle here, guys. I said non-division road favorite. It's a division road favorite. And that's what Buffalo is when they invade New England this week. And with that, we're going to get the big clothespin out, grab the points, and play New England. And like I said before, don't be surprised if Bill Belichick pulls a monster upset this Sunday. Now, with that, we're going to turn it over to Victor King with his top complimentary play on the football card this week before we get to his and my complimentary plays. Once again, our friends at uwager.lv want to remind you, you can get up to a 200% sign-up bonus and get free same-day payouts. All you need to do is log on at uwager.lv, that's Y-O-U-W-A-G-E-R.lv, or give them a call toll-free at 1-800-U-WAGER to qualify for your 200% sign-up bonus this weekend. And with that, Victor, I'm going to hand it off to you. What are you looking at for your complimentary play this week? Well, Mark, first off, we're finally starting to get our act together again in college football with the totals. Last Saturday was a perfect 2-0 day as we hit two overs in the Mountain West Conference. And, of course, all of our King Creole selections available at the website Shortcut. Just type this into your browser. That would be pb.buzz slash vk for Victor King again pb.buzz slash vk for all of our king creole selections available at playbooksports.com for our free play this week you know we have not heard from king's best friend in a couple of weeks so let's give tuco the ball with one of his two team totals this week in the nfl and you know mark was just talking about ugly betties here's an ugly betty for you it's the new york giants hold your nose (laughs) with either Daniel Jones or Tyrod Taylor at quarterback. Who cares? Tuco says if you can't beat him, then join him. That's his plan in week seven, as he's going to be playing the dysfunctional offensive New York Giants to score under their team total of 19 points as they host the Washington Commanders this week. After all, 
The G-Men come in with the worst scoring offense in the entire league now at only 11.8 points per game. If you take a look at one of our great charts in the Total Tip Sheet newsletter, it's the red zone scoring chart. And the New York Giants are the only team that has yet to score a red zone offensive TD at home this season. After they topped out with 28 points in week two against the Cardinals, the Giants have now scored nine, 16, three, and 12 points in the last month of play. Not only that, but, you know, sharp over-under betters, they already know that New York is the clear-cut best home-under team in all of the NFL as of late. In their last 17 roles as a home underdog, the Giants have gone one and sixteen over under, with an average of only fourteen point six points per game on offense. Well, yes, we like the game under, but Tuco likes the Giants team total under even more. That's your free play this week. Join Tuco as he plays the Giants under nineteen points. Well, under nineteen points for the New York Giants with Victor and Tuco. You'll probably also back that up a little bit with the total in the game with that great stat. Victor shared with you. And just a quick reminder, you can pick up all of Victor's King Creole plays online at Playbook Sports this weekend. Get in time, just in time for all the college and the National Football League games on tap. Before I get to my complimentary play on the football card this week, I want to thank all our listeners who joined me last week for our big college football perfect system play of the year. It ended up pushing. We ended up with the push. We had Oregon plus the points against Washington, and it was a hard luck push as far as I was concerned. Obviously, I'm a little biased, but it was hard to watch Oregon not win that football game when they dominated, beat them well over 100 yards. But nonetheless, we're using our five-star featured and college football game of the month going this Saturday. It's all part of another $99 football weekend of winners, our five-star college football game of the month. You can log on at playbooksports.com or give my office a call toll-free. The number is 1-800-321-77. 77. Now, my complimentary play on the college football card this week. We're going to go inside the ACC and we're going to play on the Duke Blue Devils and take all the points that Florida State is offering up this week. I realize that Duke is only three and nine to the spread when they go up against undefeated football teams, but that was all in the past. What's in the current for Duke Blue Devils is Mike Elko, their head coach. With Mike Elko, since he came on last year, this football team has won 14 out of 19 games on the scoreboard and is 13-4 and to the spread. But unbelievably, they've been a double-digit dog three times, and they've won all three times straight up as double-digit dogs, have the Duke Blue Devils under head coach Mike Elko. They're going to take on Florida State, who comes in here. They struggle, home favorites of 14 or less. They're only 1-6 to the spread. And this is a football team who is 6-0 undefeated this year but they've been out yarded two times in those six wins are allowing 343 yards a game defensively. That's a soft defense for an undefeated football team. I like Mike Elko. I'm voting for Mike Elko this week. I know it's not a primary. It's a, obviously a big football game, but give me Duke and Mike Elko plus the points for my complimentary play on the college football card this week. And that's going to put the final wraps in this edition of Mark Lawrence against the spread. I'm going to thank our co-host Victor King from King Creole sports and our two Las Vegas guest analysts, Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com and Jim Feist, the living legend in Las Vegas, for all their insight on the football card this week. Until next week, once again, this is Mark Lawrence reminding you to always to remember to bet with your head, not over it, 
and good luck as always.